Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I talk with Jade Favre. Jade has rehomed hundreds of thoroughbred racehorses into successful new careers. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi everyone, I'm Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. I'm really excited to have Jade on today. She is somebody who does a huge amount of good for ex-racehorses in the world, as well as racing thoroughbreds still active at the track. I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did. Welcome Jade to the Horsewise podcast. I'm really extra excited to have you on because I feel like you're one of those people that I know, even though I've never met you, because of our interactions on Facebook. So for my listeners who maybe don't know how much I've been involved in with X racehorses throughout my career, part-time I run LOPE, Lone Star Outreach to Place X Racers, which is an X racehorse adoption and rehabilitation charity. We work primarily with what's called war horses. So these are our racehorses that run to eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, the oldest one we had ran to 16, and he won his last wow. race too, which is pretty cool. And um, so that's how I got involved with X Racehorses. And Jade is one of these incredible, I, I mean, you're so skilled at juggling, right? So she <laughs> is active in the racing industry very successfully. And then she also, on her own, rehomes so many of these X Racehorses straight from their racing connections. And this is something that is not easy to do. It's a lot of work. And it also takes a great deal of understanding about these horses, how to describe them, how to assess them, how to also be in touch with the right kind of um, you know, new owners, people who understand these horses. And so Jade and I actually, I mean, we've been active together on Facebook for a while, but we actually especially bonded over a war horse named Nubbin Ridge who came to our program because of Jade networking on his behalf. This was a class horse that came from class class connections. And uh, it was just a great horse. And he's in our war horse program now. So, so that's just my little spiel why I was so excited to have Jade come on. And so again, welcome Jade. Thank you. You're I'm welcome. so excited to be on. Well, and Jade, for our listeners who may not know as much about the thoroughbred world, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got started. You seem like the kind of person who probably was like riding a horse when you were a year old or something. So tell us about that, how you got involved with all of this. You know, none of my family liked horses. And so when I look back, I'm like, you know, where did I learn to love horses? And as far as back as I can remember, I always loved horses and none of my family loves horses. So, um, My dad was, he helped a lot. He got me, I actually grew up barrel racing and then we moved up to uh, Ohio and my dad ran Mountaineer for a little while. And that's when I really got into like the racing side of it. I started doing a little bit of rehoming up there. We moved to Erie, Pennsylvania and my dad ran Prescott Downs. And um, at that point I was buying horses to try to resell and I wasn't very good at it. Um, you know, I might have like one or two decent stories from then. Well, I moved back down south and I moved to Mississippi. And um, I was doing the same thing. I was kind of bringing some in from Louisiana. And that's when I met my fiance, Justin. 
And so when I moved to Louisiana, that's when I got really um, a lot more active into rehoming. But it's been a long road. It's been, you know, very trying, but Mm -hmm. I love it. it. It's the best thing in the world. And what kind of got you involved in the first place? It sounds like it almost was you were there, you were at the tracks, obviously, you know, your, your family's running major tracks and you kind of get drawn in. Right. And of course, a former right. bell racer, I mean, you know how to spot a horse that's got athletic talent and everything, but was it individual horses that really caught your eye or was it more relationships with some of the people on the backside, the trainers and so forth? I actually, yeah, I, I actually, uh, rode horses for a lady up North Mm-hmm. and she did a lot of rehoming. And so I thought she was like, you know, the coolest thing ever. And I love that. And so I, I bought a couple from her and ended up not being very good. You know, she actually turned out to be dishonest. And oh for me, I didn't want to be anything like her. You know, I didn't want people to feel like they had been, the horse had been misrepresented or that I had lied to them. Um, so it actually did start with her. I got a couple from her and I, I actually knew a trainer that boarded at the same farm that I kept my barrel horse at. And he gave me a horse. And that was actually the first one I ever rehomed. His name was a caravan man. And he's still with the lady that I rehomed him with. She still has him, and she calls him little Ricky. Oh. And, um, he was a coolest little horse. She barrel races him. But so I started up there. And like I said, I started with that lady that she trained some and, uh, but it wasn't really any, any individual horses. I just spent a lot of time at the races and, you know, like she rehomed them. And so I saw that and I was like, you know that I really want to do that. That seems like I would be good at it. I've always been good at talking to people and I've always mm-hmm. loved the horses. So it was just kind of putting those two things together. And I've noticed on your page, when you put horses up that you always seem to capture something about a little bit about their personality and their history. That isn't just oh, here's this horse, he's 16 to sound, whatever. I mean, I get the sense that you have really, you know, looked that horse in the eye, even if you haven't, but it seems like you have. And you, yeah. you, you do a good job with that. You really, I got a sense of, we, we call him Ben. I got a sense of Ben's personality, even with that little bit that you had put on. And because you knew his, his trainer and right. knew him well and all of that. And I think that's something that is a real art where you're able to give people who are essentially most of them are purchasing or they're seeing the ad for the first time on Facebook or online. So it's not like, it's not like you're a sales barn where people are coming in where you're really able to give that sense of the, the horse's personality and their background and also very accurate information about their, you know, rehab status of the rehab or their soundness. So that's something I found really interesting about how you do it. I think that's the hard part with horses off the track because, you know, like I do have five stalls at Louisiana Downs now, so I can bring the horses to me. But before, you know, I'm only spending maybe 10, 15 minutes with the horses. So I have to try to figure out, you know, as much as I can out in those 10 to 15 minutes. And I asked the groom, you know, Hey, how is this horse in the stall? Or how is this horse to handle? Does this horse have any bad habits? Um, and then of course I asked the trainers to, to disclose as much as they can. And most of them do. I, I really haven't had a trainer lie to me. Um, 
most of them are very upfront. And like I said, that's the hard part is you're trying to figure out so much about them in such a short period of time, because you don't, like I said, you don't want to misrepresent them. So you're just trying to figure out as much as you can. Um, you know, I run my leg, I hit my hands over their legs. I flex them, jog them. Um, and like I said, I ask everybody about them because the groom knows the horse the best Right. out of anybody that knows the horse, the groom is going to know the most. So I always ask them and they always, they never steer me in the wrong direction. <laughs> They'll always <laughs> tell me like, Hey, this one might stall walk a little or, or yeah. might be a little grouchy, you know, here or there. And I make sure I relay that to, to any potential buyers because you don't want them to be. And some people, you know, every once in a while, you're going to have one that will catch you by surprise. Like they get there and they're like, Oh, you know, he cribs. And it's like, well, you know, maybe cause they're in a new spot and it's very stressful right. or you know, maybe that was not disclosed. Um, that does happen, but very rarely, very rarely. And the majority of folks who, who, who get horses through your program, and it's not like you are actually, like you said, taking them in and reselling them per se, you're acting right. as a, a networking service, really. Do they tend to purchase sight unseen just from videos or do you? Have yes. So, so that's the vast majority. I would say 98%. Right. I, I don't ever really have anybody come and meet them or, or see them. All of them almost ship them right to them. That's cool. And I, yeah, I do this. I set up the shipping and I handle everything and I, I try to make it as easy as possible on not only the buyer, but the trainer also, because mm-hmm. I, you know, being engaged with a trainer, I know how much they have on their plate. So I try to make it easy for everybody. I feel like a lot of people don't know that who, well, maybe now they do is more and more people are purchasing kind of the x-ray horses straight from the track, working through people like you. But back when I first started doing Lope, there was this big kind of culture gap where people were kind of like, well, you know, I had to be late for my appointment with the trainer. And I'm like, well, you don't understand that trainer, that person can't just hang around. Right. Like they might have a horse in the next race. Like they can't, yeah. they're on a tight schedule, yeah. you know? And so it's not like you're kind of working in the horses whenever, you know, you feel like it. Um, and I think that that really, I think that really is a factor too in how much the trainers trust you. Right. Yeah. I think not that the trainers don't want their horses in good homes, but the trainers don't want the hassle of going through what I go through. (laughs) You know, they want me to, to deal with the people and they want me to deal with the shipper. And even all of them are like, I want you to handle the money. You know, like they send me the money and then I give the money to the, to the Mm -hmm. trainer. They just want me to handle everything. So that way it just makes it a, a lot easier for them. And it's not that they, they don't care about their horse or, you know, they just want their horse gone. It's just, a lot of them are so old, you know, timey that it's just, they'd have a hard time doing it, I think. Right. And it is a lot of time. And if it's yeah. not your, if it's not your thing, so to speak, I mean, you, like you said, you're good with people. You like talking to people. Right. You like being active on social media. I know a lot of race trainers who really would rather swim through battery acid than be on social media for more than like <laughs> yeah. seconds, you know, like their kids are on it, or, oh. you know, but they're not really into it. And so I think that that is an important service and they do. I know that they care about their horses. Like I see, I know exactly the type of trainer you're talking about, yeah. but they can't, 
they can't do it all, so to speak. Right. And, the, and the ones that maybe they're not bad people, but maybe they don't care quite so much. Making it convenient is super helpful. Right. Because that really gives the horses a good chance of, you know, finding the right person quickly. And yeah, that's I, a, speed is an important, is an important factor sometimes. Yeah. Because a lot of times they'll be like, oh, I have a horse shipping in in three days and I need the stall. Right. And I'll be like, oh, you know, okay. And Thanks so the notice. Before, yeah, <laughs> before I had my five stalls, you know, I just shove them in Justin's stall and be like, hey, Justin, you know, there's a new horse in your stall. <laughs> and he, he never did care. But it sometimes I'd be in a jam like, oh, I'm claiming a horse today. Oh, I'm like, well, I have a horse in your in your only empty stall, you know, and so I'd ask trainers and and anyone would be willing to lend me a stall. If they had an open stall, they'd be like, yeah, you could put the horse there for you know, X amount of days. Right. So they're all willing to help me out. Um, I, I've come across very few trainers that don't really care about the horses. Um, Same but here. most of them, they really do care and they care where they go. Um, but I'm thankful to have five stalls because that's been a big help Yeah, that does for help. ones that might need gone, you know, right. right, or they're, right away. They're, they have like a minor rehab and that's a factor in the trainer can't really they can't really put the time into that because they've got to go right. to the next meet or whatever. And it's not a catastrophic rehab, but just being able to kind of get into the next phase yeah. is important. You know, rehabs are, it's a little hard at the track because, um, well, like I have one now that he only needs about a week more of stall rest. And so I'm kind of scrambling because I'm like, he only has a week more of stall rest and then he can go out in a small paddock. And I don't want to keep it. It's hard on them. You know, they go walk on the wheel for 20, 30 minutes a day, yeah. but when they're ready to go out, I want them to be able to go out. And so, um, it is a little hard at the track because you don't have turnout. Um, right. yeah, I can hand walk them as, but walking only does so much. Right. And so, I really get to assess their personality then because, (laughs) you know, I'm still feeding them a lot. So that way they don't drop any condition and then they're not really doing anything. So some of them feel their oats a little bit, but um, I tell that to people. I'm like, look, they're a little high on life right now because they've been (laughs) on stall rest, but they're, they're sweet. They're quiet. Um, But I'm very thankful. LAD gave me the five stalls. Very thankful. That's great. And they, they gave them to you specifically to rehome. Is that right? right. See, that's yeah. what's so great. And, and explain to my listeners who don't know much about the track, like you just can't go in and rent stalls. Like they might have that idea. So explain that for my listeners who aren't from this background. No. So you, the trainers apply for stalls and you have to put the horse's name, the owner and the track decides how many stalls they want to give you. So the trainers might not even get all the stalls they want. It depends on what track you're at. Um, So you apply for the stalls. And uh, after the meet ends, sometimes you do have to rent for like a week or two. But um, no, you can't just rent the stalls. You got to apply. And Justin asked them, you know, hey, can Jade have a few stalls? Because... I have trainers want to give me horses or these horses need out. And if I have nowhere to put them, I'm kind of in a jam. And so they agreed. They gave him 30 stalls and they gave me five stalls. So, yeah, you know, you have to apply and you kind of 
they look at the horses that you run and the number of horses that you run and that's how they decide. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's just not automatic. And no. it's also, it's, it also says something about the track that they were willing to support that. Cause there's always trainers that want the right. stalls. Usually there's a lot more trainers than stalls in the sense, there are a lot more horses than stalls available. Yeah. So luckily at LAD, there's a lot of stalls and, you know, summer racing here is kind of a little weak. So mm-hmm. I got lucky if I needed more stalls, I think they would give them to me. And then they even have a trainer that has a barn at the Benton training center, which is mm-hmm. not far from here. And he said, I could use his barn free of charge also. That's great. So that was really nice of him too. So if I ever needed that, you know, I have that option also. So there's, there's a lot of people willing to help here. And, you know, there's a lot of bad light shed on Louisiana, but I, I don't think that people understand that there really was no rehoming here. I, I know you've heard of NTWO probably. Yes, I have. Well, they stepped in. And then not long kind of after they did, I did. But before that, there was very minimal options. And so now, you know, that there are a lot of options and trainers realize that. And for me, I'm trying to tell the trainers, they're like, your horses are worth something. They're so used to giving them away. Um, Not necessarily to the first person that comes, but, and so me, I'm preaching to them, hey, these horses are worth something, especially when you retire them sound. Right. Um, right. I always tell trainers retire on one race early. Like you're chase, don't be chasing fourth, fifth place checks, you know, retire while, while they can have another career. And it's so much easier. Right. So I preach that to them and it's, it's working. I mean, I'm not going to say it's, you know, they still have some trainers who chase a win. They'll run them 10 times for one win. But, um, you know, for us, we have Justin has like a three strike rule. If you miss three checks, you know, you're leaving. Sometimes yeah. they don't even get a strike. Sometimes it's like <laughs> he's like, no, just find him home. That's so, really smart though, because at the is. end of the day, you know, uh, you can keep, like you said, chase that fourth and fifth place check, yeah. but you're gonna be putting in, you know, still a lot of money. Yeah, and way more. Way more. And then it's your time too. Yep you know, the management isn't, isn't only just a check that you're writing every month. It's also managing the owner. It's managing, you know, the stable itself, all these things kind of play into it. And you know, that horse is going to get hurt, you know, like that's always the thing, like the one, I don't know what the, the, it's like a law of the horse world, but you know, they never get injured at the right time. Obviously you don't ever want them to be injured. Never. And so it's, it's always a good idea just to say, Hey, this is, if it's a borderline, it's probably not going to happen. Right. You know, like the sea biscuits of the world back in the day who were kind of borderline for years. And then suddenly with the right trainer, there's, yeah, that's very rare. That's very rare. <laughs> very rare. And we don't do yeah. it that way. That was a different era. You know, he ran, right. I can't remember how long he ran, but he ran a long time. It was a totally different scenario, like the types yeah. of races and the racing circuit in general. So I always think that's really a great incentive. It's, it's a practical incentive, right? And right. it really helps people want to do good, but it also helps to make it as practical and straightforward right. for them. Like that just has always made sense to me. Yeah. And so, I agree. And then, yeah. And how long have you been doing it in Louisiana now? Um, uh, like two and a half years ish. Yeah. It, it really didn't take off until probably last summer here, maybe. Mm-hmm. No, it, it was kind of slow at first. Like, uh, 
I wasn't really at the track all the time. And so it made it a little difficult, but it just kind of got rolling. And it's like, before I knew it, I had all kind of trainers calling me and which was a great thing. Yeah. And, you know, and still to this day, I have new trainers call me and they're like, Hey, you know, so-and-so gave me your number. I have a horse. I'm like, Oh, great. You know? Um, so I go to farm sometimes if I need to, um, it can be a little hard when you have horses where I'm not at. So let's say they're like three hours yeah. away from me. It's a little yeah. hard because I do like to put, you know, put I hands like on them. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. like to see them. I do prefer, especially if it's someone I don't really know that well. Right. But I, I do sell some off just pictures and videos and, you know, I'm just kind of trusting that person to be telling me the truth. Um, but yeah, I prefer to do it right here, but it, it, I've been here for about two and a half years, but it just kind of got started rolling probably the last summer That's where nice. it got really busy. And tell me a little bit about the people who purchased these horses, like how that sort of developed. Did you start, you must've started out with a pretty solid, you know, kind of circle of people that you already knew yeah. or trainers who aren't in racing, you know, in other, in other disciplines who already would maybe kind of reach out to you. Yeah. So there for a while, I was just doing some advertising for people. So I was charging like, um, a 5% fee. Mm -hmm. So if I sold the horse, you know, I'd get 5%. And so that kind of brought some clientele to me. Um, but I've always been so like involved in the thoroughbred mm -hmm. side that I had a, just a bunch of thoroughbred people, you know, on my friends list, which like I said, Facebook is a, is a great thing. That's where I sell all my horses. So, uh, and then I met a couple people in Texas when I moved here and they actually buy quite a bit for me and they get them started and then they, they sell them. So they're, they are like a reseller. Yeah. But they get to sit on them and they assess their brain and you know, whatnot, which I can't do here. So it is a great thing because they'll come, they'll, if they like them, they're saying, Hey, you know, I come, I'll come pick them up. And I had a friend, she just come bought two from me and, uh, they're doing really, really good. And then uh, I have some clients in Florida that are almost mm -hmm. always looking. And then um, recently, a good friend of mine in Nebraska just started kind of buying from me. She just bought one with an old bow. So her husband runs a lameness clinic. And oh, nice. so, you know, and she restarts a lot of horses. And so she's like, I'll send the shipper to get them now. You know, she's great to have. Being in Louisiana, it is a little hard because a lot of my buyers are so far away that mm -hmm. the shipping is just kind of a killer. I mean, shipping right. is expensive. And so when you add the, the purchase price and the shipping, it can get a little rough, but we always make it work. I, I try to price the horses very reasonably. You know, I'm not, I'm trying to get the trainer their fair amount because I don't want to cut them short. Um, mm -hmm. But I also want to be very fair to my buyers. So I have buyers all over. I mean, I'm, I ship horses out everywhere. That's great. And then what is yeah. the price range? Like, again, for some of the people who listen to my podcast are thoroughbred people like me, you know, but um, I'm just curious, like, it, let's say there was somebody who is maybe a younger hunter jumper trainer who was used to maybe working with warm bloods and now is getting more interested in thoroughbreds because, you know, cost-wise, it's a better option right. in many ways, yeah. right? And for sure. there's obviously a good market for these horses. So, what, what could that person expect to pay depending on the type of horse? I'm going to say like for me, you know, 2,500. Yeah. That that's probably the, 
the average. Um, now, if they're big 17 hand gray, you right. can expect, you know, maybe 3,500. But I, I don't, even for grades, I mean, I see some grades that have huge oscillates and they're asking like 5,500 for them. Yeah. And I'm like, that's just ridiculous. I mean, I know they're sound on oscillates, and, but that just because they're gray and they're big, they jack the price up. Yeah. And yeah. See, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I look at a horse and most of the trainers actually let me price them, which is a good thing. So I don't have trainers saying, Hey, I want $5,000 for this horse because most of the time I'm like, you're not going to get $5,000 for that horse. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and the people who are going to want to pay that are going to drive you insane because they don't yeah. understand the market, you know? And right. so it's better to, to price appropriately. It's like any other market. You know, and I do sell some for way cheaper than, you know, than I probably should for the quality of the horse, but they go to good homes or it's somebody that, you know, that I know really well. Like I just sold my little chestnut gelding and he's got white up to his knee and a big white face. I saw and, his photo. He's, yes, so he's, yeah. he's a sweetheart. And, you know, I sold him for super cheap, which he does have a spur in his knee, mm -hmm. um, but he's been sound and I've got the x-rays and. Could I probably have gotten more? Sure. But he's going to a repeat client of mine that has one and her daughter jumps them and great home. Right. So I'm not going to sit there and chase, you know, 500, a thousand more dollars when he's going to a, a five-star home. That's right. what's most important to me is the home. Yeah. And the matchup too, like there's yeah. good people with the right job for that horse you know, right. and people you trust and know are the majority of the people who come to you to, to buy, are they primarily looking for, you know, jumping and venting or do you, are you seeing a mix across the board? Are you seeing more Western or more? Dressage? I've started to see a little more Western, but I, probably 95% are like hunter jumpers, um, eventing. a lot are eventing. Yeah. Most like of that's them growing quite are a bit. Eventing. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, you know, they have the blood for it and they, they make great eventers. They have so much heart. They're so brave. Um, so a lot of it's English. There is a little bit of Western. And I think the RRP kind of helped out a little bit in yeah. the Western category because now more people are kind of pushing for them for Western horses. But mostly English eventers, jumpers. If you get a really fancy one, big body, flashy, then the hunters kind of come out. But they're a little they're a little like stingy towards the thoroughbred. <laughs> well, yeah. And then the thoroughbreds, this is just my opinion. I'm, I mean, there's individual horses, obviously that prove you wrong, but in general, the thoroughbred way of going in terms of what the, the people who are super serious about show hunting, it's not quite right. You know, like they right. think like, Hey, here I am. And I'm just yeah. like, no, we want you to be <laughs> a little bit like, underwater you know right. like you kind of have this thoroughbreds have personality and yeah. it's I mean I, I know some people have some really nice thoroughbreds that make good hunters they're at the lower levels but they're really you know right. solid horses and it suits those horses but I'm just saying in general even so Lope works with I said war horses they almost always have old injuries and a lot of people um don't like the war horses for retrain and resell because they're a little older and they've kind of right. paid their dues. And so we like to have them because they're so interesting. Their rehabs are interesting and they're such personalities that 
we then in turn teach interns who want to be veterinarians or horse trainers or even maybe one day professional competitors. And they fall in love with these horses, these teens, yeah. and they learn so much. So they come to us and they can stay a long time. We kind of want them to because there's not a lot of people lining up who want to buy them, you know, and I'd be right. troubled. I'd be troubled if there were, because, you know, they don't fit that, but that's right. why it works. I mean, we're a charity. It makes sense to me that that's where we would focus. You know, I love when I first started doing this work many years ago, we were more of a straight out adoption group and um, we would get sound horses, nice horses all the time. And it'd always be like, why is this horse here? You know, right. like, you know, it's just like this horse you know, we're holding him back. Like we'd like to see. So I've been really happy to see that change in the commercial market over the last few right. years. And, For sure. and that, yeah. And then now there's, there's people like you out there who are able to rehome them quicker, right. Than kind of, you know, the trainers may be thinking about talking to someone that they met at that last meeting right. years ago, which takes yeah. a while or, and there's a lot of charities that place the horses and do a good job with it, but it is typically a little more of a barrier because there's an adoption process. Charities right. are required to do that. And people who are at a professional level for retraining and resell, they know what they want and they know, um, you know, what they're looking for. And for them, that's enough of a deterrent. And if the horse is right. sound, he probably shouldn't be at the charity anyway. That's an anomaly in my opinion, you know, just, <laughs> right. that's all I'm saying. It's like, there used to be back in the day that you see these gorgeous horses at a lot of the adoption groups and you still see gorgeous horses, but yeah. they're more likely to have a little thing or a there's little, a, yeah. a little thing that keeps them from being as commercial, you know? Right. Um, and so that's just something I found to be really exciting. I feel like it's safer for the horses when there's a good market for them. Yeah, absolutely. Demand for them when there's value and when the trainers have to give away really nice ones, that's when I feel, you know, I would feel concerned about that. So, yeah, I think sometimes if you price really nice horses too cheap, people wonder, they're like, why is that horse so cheap? And, um, you know, that's why I, the nice ones, I try not to price too cheap because I don't want people thinking there's something wrong with them. Like right. I said, I, I just try to be fair because like I said, I'm in Louisiana and almost all my buyers are halfway Everywhere. across the world. So, right. I mean, shipping is killer. And, um, you know, I'm always very negotiable to a good home. I'm not, some trainers do say, Hey, I want this, right. but 99% of them, they just tell me to, you know, Hey, I have this horse. I want to find it a home. Right. It's not, Hey, I want $3,000 for this horse. Right. No they just, what. they come yeah. to me and they just, they just want to find the horse a home and whatever they get for it is, is what they get, which I think is great because it doesn't put any pressure on me to have to try to go out there and get X amount of money. And then, you know, it, I just, I like my system that I have. I'm very thankful for the system that I have. It works great for me and the trainers and it's worked great for all my buyers and it's just been a good program. Yeah, it shows. And I also think that, I mean, I don't watch your page constantly. It's, it's like eye candy. Like there's these beautiful horses <laughs> that go by and uh, I'm pretty busy. And, you know, last thing I need to be doing is looking for a, another personal horse because I'll, right. I'll get divorced if that happens. So <laughs> it's just one of these things where I just try not to go there, but it does seem like your horses move very quickly as they should. And so that always says that there's a good, um, combination that you're putting together that right 
you have the regular buyers, you have new buyers who then feel uh, reassured by seeing sort of the consistency in the horses and the presentation. Right. And then they're nice horses. Like, you know, you always get good photos too, which is actually- I bought a camera and that helped a ton. Yeah. I cannot tell you how much my camera has made a difference. Like when I was buying the camera, people were like, just get the newest iPhone. It's the same thing. And I'm just here to tell you, it's not the same thing. My camera takes great photos and that's so important. I don't, I think people underestimate the pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first thing that people see. So you want to have a good picture. You know, if they have a big, pretty face, it, it sounds stupid. Or if they have a really soft eye, you know, you want to capture that because you, you have to bring people in with mm-hmm. something. Um, you know, like I get a lot of plain bays. And so you just, you have to, there's got to be something about the picture. There's got to be something that, that catches people's eye because if not, they'll just keep scrolling. Right. I mean, there, there's a million horses on these sites. You've got to find something to pop out at somebody for sure. Good pictures are our must. What kind of camera did you get? It's a Canon, um, Rebel T7. Rebel T7. Wow. Rebel T7. Spaceship. Yeah. Well, look, it took me so long to figure out how to work it. And there's still days I'm like this, me and this camera are going to have rounds because it is, it's hard to work, but, um, once you figure it out, it, it's great. And mm-hmm. it helps, it helps a lot for me. I'm not going to say that, you know, it helps. It's the greatest thing ever, but it helps out a lot because I've gotten great pictures because of it. And it, it just really helps the, the quality of pictures is much, much better. That makes sense. And, um, too. I bought mine used from Canon. Oh. It was like four hundred bucks. You can buy them refurbished, so they're they're. My, it was like brand new, and I wow. got two lenses. So I got a lens for like confirmation pictures, close up, mm-hmm. and then I also have a lens for galloping. So I take pictures of our horses, or and some sometimes trainers are like, "Hey, this horse is going to run one more time, and then if it doesn't run any good, you know, I want you to rehome it." And so in that, I can take pictures of the horse galloping. I can take videos of the horse galloping and that helps a lot too. But um, yeah, if you're, if you want to get a camera, go on Canon, get it refurbished. I'm, I'm writing that down because I'm thinking yeah. that might be good for uh, the charity to invest. In. I think so. Even though we're not, we're not pitching to a higher market at all, but these horses really that we work with, they do have cool stories and they have cool personalities. Right. Um, and so it's a way to draw in the right longer term adopter. And again, our, yeah. our pool, we're, we're kind of really picky because the horses <laughs> kind of merit that. And we, we yeah. only take so many at a time and we really like having them. Right. So it's not like we're like, get this horse out the door. Right. But um, we probably could do a better job of conveying visually how we feel about the horses, what we've come to love about them, even if they got a bumpy ankle or, you know, they don't have, you know, like perfect confirmation or whatever, you know, all their heart and spirit, these war horses, they're really, um, they're just, they have all their presence. They're the coolest horses. I don't understand how people pass up on them. Every war horse I've sold has been the neatest horse. They are so cool. And if they've held up for that long, they will hold up for another career. Absolutely. It, it's true. I have a war horse for my personal horse, a cozy kitten. He raced a long time. I think he raced 
94 times or whatever. Wow. And uh, I actually got him through Canner, Kentucky. Shout out to them just because I was in Kentucky uh, interviewing people for the podcast. And I was like, this horse looks cute. I'm just going to go look at him. And of course, there it is. You <laughs> know, home. Shipping, shipping him to Texas. Yeah. But, um, you know, the ones that we take at the charity, some of them do have more serious limitations, too. So um, some of the people who support us really like the idea that we are kind of standing up for those guys, but also giving them purpose. It's not just right. like, uh, feeling sorry for them or putting them out to pasture. They all have such active minds. Yeah. So even if they can only do flat work or they might even have to stay in rehab and just do groundwork for a while, they're, they're feeling like they have a job. Right. It's super important. So I think the, the ones that have limitations or like rehab, I find those very rewarding, but they also are the most stressful for me mm-hmm. because it's so important to match them up with the right person. I mean, you can't just send those types to anybody. And for me, I can get a good sense of a person from the first two messages they send me. You know, I mean, there's people that send me a message and I don't even answer. I'm like, there's no way this person needs a thoroughbred just by the stuff they ask or, or it, I mean, it's just for me, it's easy to tell, but yeah, rehabs are, I love them because I love when they go on to have success stories and, you know, I've had quite a few, but they are very stressful to me because it's so important to find the, the right home. That's why I have the one in my barn that's got the knee chip and you know, I'm, it's just stressful. So he's been in my barn for a few weeks and he'll just stay in the barn until, you know, the right home comes along because I don't want him going anywhere bad. So. Yeah. Well, no, we, I totally understand. Cause that's on the charity <laughs> side. That's what yeah. we do. And the, our solution has been, we don't take very many. We have them be teachers to our interns and we, we have a really great veterinary sponsorship and we give them everything we can we treat them like they just won the derby for us right right and then they always find the right spot um but we also recognize that it's not like a marketing thing so much as a as sharing who these horses really are and then getting the people who really appreciate them for what they are and what they have been so and that's why again that's the role of a charity that's not that's hard for someone commercial to do yeah. Constantly as the primary focus, it's actually impossible for someone commercial to do it. And, um, but the commercial part of it. So sometimes I'll hear from people when I have my low pad on the charity hat on, and they'll be like, you know, we don't understand why people are selling these horses for so much money you know, $2,500. Like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so much, And yeah. they should just give them away. And it's like, you know, that's actually a safer outlet. Again, the horses that have a good market and people who value them, that's yeah. actually a, a good thing, you know? And so we really try to put that out too, that we don't see that as a problem. We think that's a good thing. If someone right. comes to our organization and says, hey, I'm looking for a super sound horse to do uh, eventing, we're like, these are the people you need to go to. You're yeah, one too. of the people we'll refer to, you know, but we right. there's several people who do what you do and do it well. And we say, you need to check these places out first because they have good reputations and you don't need to get a horse that has oslets, okay? Just because he's at right. charity and he's not, quote, expensive, it's not a good match. So right. and sometimes we catch flack for that because people are like, I'm I'm ready to give your rescue horse a great home. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't understand. We love you, but you're, right. not, and you're not good enough for this horse because yeah. you're not getting the core thing, which is that he can't do that job. Right. So that means it's a mismatch, you know? So um, that can be a little That's delicate. That's the thing. most important thing is, is finding the right, 
the right spot for them. And yeah. like I said, the, the sound ones are the easiest ones in the world. I mean, yeah. well, even they can be a little stressful because, you know, you don't want a tougher one going to somebody that might not have as much experience or something like that. But um, the ones that need somebody that really understand what's wrong with them or why they can't jump after they're healed is so important. I had a horse that had a, um, a slab fracture and a vet wanted to take them. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I, I require a vet reference, a farrier reference and three personal references on any free horses. Um, so I'm checking, I'm checking the references and the one lady's like, you do know she's a vet, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah I, I, I got to do I'm it. Just, I'm just double checking. And so he's up in his home and he just graduated to going out in a small paddock and she loves him. And she says, even if he doesn't turn out to be what I want him to be, you know, he'll just be another pasture pet. She says, I collect those. So, um, those are the good stories. Those are what I strive to find for everyone. And, um, I get a lot of people will comment on my things and be like, Oh, free horses, kill buyers, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you don't understand. I cannot ask money for a horse that needs a year off. I mean, people don't even want to take them for free half the time. So if I ask money for them, he'll never find a home. But it, I, I thoroughly vet. I'm not giving them to the first person that comes. I mean, if you look through my messages, you see a million messages. Hey, is that horse still available? And, you know, I'm very particular with where the yeah. free ones go because you have to be. Right. And Absolutely. I know when I reached out to you about Ben, I was like, because I didn't, you know, Facebook, you kind of know each other, but you know, I'm like, okay, just want you right. to know, we're TAA accredited. I would totally understand if, if they some, cause some trainers prefer not to work with charities, it's nothing personal. They just maybe yeah. found it to be a little bit better to work with people who are, you know, doing things with the horses personally. And so I'm like, no big deal, but this is who we are. If you think this would be a good match, so I'm like, I laid it all out for yeah. you and everything. And you were like, boom, you immediately responded. You had like the x-rays. And uh, I so I thought that was really cool. It's like uh, that you sized me up pretty fast. You know, like I said, it, it's very easy usually to to just talk to a person or even look at their profile sometimes i'll look at a profile and i'm like mm, no i, do I don't that too. yeah i don't like that that does not look good for this horse and so i just and i'll tell them i just said hey you know i don't think you're a good match for this horse and sometimes they get mad and i mean it is what it is i'm not yeah. gonna lose any sleep over that because i want the horse on a good spot so um yeah, it, it, it's easy. People might think it's hard or they might think we just give these horses to the first person that comes, but that's, that's far from the truth. It is. It's true. People who are doing this work with integrity, like you are, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And like you said, it can be stressful yeah. because you, it's very stressful. I spend all my days worrying. Like I, not only do I worry about our 30 race horses all day, every day, I'm like watching them. I'm like, do they come back from that race good? You know, are they eating up? Um, you know, does that leg feel okay or blah, blah, blah. And I'm worried about them getting claimed and, and where they go when they get claimed. I've got to stalk them after they get claimed because I want to keep up with them. And I always tell the new connections, hey, when this horse is done, this horse can always come back here. No questions asked. I don't care if they can't walk. They can come back. So I worry about that all the time. And then I worry about these horses that I rehome all the time. You know, because I understand stuff happens like maybe a year down the road, you know, something major hits their life and they have to sell the horse and, 
you know, it, it is e- easy to lose track of them sometimes as yes. hard, you know, yes. it is when I'm rehoming as many as I'm rehoming, but I do my due diligence, you know, I send messages probably every couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Hey, how's so-and-so doing? Or, um, and I tell them all the time, if this horse ever needs a home, you can always come back to me. They can either come back to me or they can, you know, I can help you place them network place from them. where you are. Yeah. So like I might have a horse that I placed last summer. He might be coming back to me this month. And I told her, you know, she's, she reached out and I said, I, I'll bring him back. I said, I have five stalls at Louisiana Downs. If you get him to me, I will take him and I will find him a home. And she said, mm-hmm. okay, great. She said, I'm going to see what I can do this month. And if I don't, I'll send them back to you. I said, okay, that, that's any time. And I think if you relay that to them, a lot of people are going to do the right thing and they're going to call you if they need to. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to have your couple people that are just ignorant and they won't, but I'd say probably 90% of them are going to do the right thing. They're going to call me if they ever need to. I feel like most people want to do the right thing in general. Yeah. And I think if, again, I've had people say to me, well, gosh, you know, the racing industry is harsh. I'm like, I don't know. It hasn't really been my experience. And, right. you know, and I would not say that I'm a hardened, tough person, right? Like, you don't look at me and go, whoa, Lynn, face like concrete, you know, like, so see what I'm saying? So right. I feel like they, uh, like I said, the majority of people really want to do the right thing. And uh, I've had, I've had some pretty tough guys at the track really soften up and, and let me know how they feel about a horse. Cause they know, well, they know they can trust me with the information. Like I'm not right. going to, I'm not going to call them out, you know, whatever. And so if you treat people like that, like you pretty much think they're going to do the right thing, they almost always do. Yeah. And so that's sort of my philosophy on it. I don't really, I didn't get into the rate, the, the x race horses taught me a lot. I didn't really have a lot of really any business doing that, like having a resource adoption charity. I'm like, oh, this seems like fun. Right. Because of that, I have the career I have now doing other things like this podcast and horsemanship stuff, plus the charities, like, you know, again, solid, almost majority of what I do. So I'm really grateful to the horses and to the people at the tracks and the industry who they helped educate me as well. And so, so I have always felt that really strongly. You can, get into uh let's say the rescue side of it and you can have um kind of a uh what's the word I'm looking for kind of a negative attitude right right and I always felt really fortunate that I could actually help these horses in any way because they're so amazing such great athletes so I maybe I maybe didn't come into it with that that sort of mindset so and I think that's made all the difference in uh just how we approach things, we get this, a similar experience back to us, if that makes sense. Right. Again, you can, I can go out and I can look for worst case scenarios all over the place in all kinds of, of businesses. Course. And, that have and, nothing, yeah. and you can really focus on it, but it doesn't really, I don't think it does as much constructive good as to encourage and build on the positive, which is so, yeah. so vastly the majority out there. It so, is. It, and, yeah. I just think because racing is so much in the the spotlight that it it gets a lot more bad news and good news than any other you know horse industry. But there's there's bad in in every you know sport horse sport. I guess you say bale racing, the rainers, cutters. Um, but racing just seems to get most of the the bad light, which 
I try to preach to people all the time. You won't find better taken care of horses than on the backside. And I mean, you're like, you're going to have your couple bad apples, but, um, you know, I know Justin, he said these horses would have a big stall full of a bunch of shavings and he'd be sleeping on the ground before they would. And right. he means that, trust me, like he spends so much on them. Um, they get the best feed. They get the best, their shavings always is overfilled the best hay. They get alfalfa. They get their, they get their tummy medicine every month. They get their oil. They get, um, you know, feet done like clockwork. They get their teeth checked like clockwork. Um, the vets at the barn every single day, checking on them, making sure all is well. So they, they get the best of care and you, you have your bad people, but you have that in every Aspect of horses. And, and, and just... I've seen, yeah, I've seen that in other aspects of the horse industry, other disciplines since I started doing kind of again more of the horsemanship and teaching on that side. Because right. I get all kinds of people and all kinds of horses. And again, even in those cases, most of the time people don't, it's ignorance. They don't even mean yeah. to be doing the wrong thing. So the first time I ever went to the backside of a track, a friend of a friend took me because they had a part ownership in a in a really not so great racehorse. And it was a tiny kind of tiny little shed row, you know, and it wasn't no. the fanciest shed row at this track. That wasn't the fanciest track, but I went back there and I never forgot this. So they had like five horses. They were so proud of them. And I guess it was like yeah. this little back shed, the back stalls of the back shed row. And they had put pom-poms in their mane because they had like a best dressed uh, race, you know? Yeah. And, and they were so proud of them. They were getting ready for the race and they were hand feeding them donuts. And I'm like, oh man this is great like how can yeah. I get in on this deal and so and I didn't come from any kind of a horse background or a racing background but I really fell in love with you know just watching them gallop in the mornings you know those horses they're bred to do something really specific yeah. and then the people at the track who take care of them who ride them and train them it's like going back in time a little bit it's a very non-modern thing to be doing right makes sense yeah. You have to, I feel like you really have to love the horses to do it well. Oh, 100%. Because there are so many better ways to make money that are a lot less <laughs> easier. Physically, right? Exactly. Right. And so people think, oh, it's this glamorous, you know, yeah. it's like maybe, maybe for the very top people. But that's what I was just about to say. I think that all the time that people look and they say, oh, these people are making so much money and it's such a glamorous lifestyle. And I'm like, the only people that are making a lot of money are like Baffert, Asmussen, you know, Cox, your, your top, top people are the ones that are making a lot of money. I can tell you, I do all the bills. We are not <laughs> a lot of money. Not rich. We, oh. <laughs> it's owing. We owe a lot of people, you know, it, it's feed stores and farriers and shippers and the dentist and the shavings are, you know, $4,000 a month. And I mean, it's just, it's a lot of bills. And I don't understand how people could do it if they don't love it. Yeah, you you don't get a day off. No. It, it's just, it's consuming. And and like I said, unless you're at the top of the sport, you're not rich at all. No. It's and, just and even some of the other. guys at the top of the sport, they started at the bottom of the sport. There was a lot yeah. of years of, you know, really watching those. Yeah, it's true. And uh, I I completely agree with that. Most well, Justin of, started out with like five horses and he did all the work himself. And wow. I mean, he was a little kid, hot walking horses. I mean, he just, 
he always loved horses and um now he's up to to 30 horses and you know we go to all the sales and he's got a horse that he bought for a thousand dollars that made seven hundred and forty two thousand and so yeah he's worked his way up and I even then it's still a struggle like I said we it's not we're not rich we're not living a high lifestyle it's (laughs) we just do it because we love the horses we love the sport that's it Yeah. yeah It shows. It really shows. Well, I'm going to bring you to what happens on every first interview, which is that uh, we've been talking for almost an hour. It just feels <laughs> like it just flew by, right? I know. When by. you talk about horses, it's it just, I could talk all day, every day. I, I agree. And so uh, I think we'd love to have you back, Jade, sometime. Yeah. I don't like to keep people too much more than an hour because I know, I know you've got two children, which is amazing to me. Yeah. And, you know, you probably have horse chores that you need to get to in about 15 yeah, we minutes. Feed about five. So I got to right. go take care, of, uh, take care of my two, clean their stalls. And I'm sure they're, they're dying for their food. They're going to act like they haven't eaten in days. I know, like they're, they're starving to death. They're being yeah, used, right? Really. They <laughs> look starving, but <laughs> oh yeah, that's every day. That's every day. Yeah. Like, Hello, lady. Where have you been all day? Uh, I ordered Start. a latte 20 minutes yeah. ago. Then bring it here. And you're like, oh, yep. I have children. I'm trying to get to you. I know it's funny. Yeah. You guys keep them on such a good schedule, too. That's the other thing at the track. Yeah. The, these horses are on just by the clock schedule. Yeah. So it's always funny that Absolutely. they're also like, where are you? Like, it's like, well, I'm here the same time every day. Every day. Because you know this by now. Yeah, right. It's like, no. I'll be there. <laughs> Well, Jade, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm going to stop the Facebook live recording, but um, I just really, again, want to thank you. And we would love to have you back. And so, Of course. Just let me know a day at a time and I'll make uh, time. Well, we will definitely have you back. Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed getting to know Jade over the course of our interview. And I hope all of you did as well. If you would like to check out her work or look at some of the listings she has of X-Race horses currently for sale at the tracks, please go to her website, jadefarvesporthorses.com. At Horsewise, I teach people the key horsemanship habits and tools to help them reach their goals with their horse. If you're a follower of the podcast and would like the opportunity to study some of our topics in deeper detail, I'm really excited to announce that I'm starting a new podcast study group called Horsewise Scholars. If you'd like information on this, please go to horsewisecoach.com slash scholars. As always, I thank you for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.